Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our Tuesday reporters in Yoon Hae-jung and Jung Yin. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. Today, on Tuesday, uh, President Yoon Sung-yeol speaking at a cabinet meeting uh, just four days before the Lunar New Year holiday is set to begin on Friday. Uh, he said that more than 450,000 people will be granted special pardons uh, while saying that the increase in the annual medical school enrollment quota is a must. number of things that he said at the cabinet meeting today. Hejong, you're going to start us off with President Yoon's remark. Uh, what do you have for us? Right. President Yoon chaired a cabinet meeting this morning at the Yongsan presidential office covering a wide range of issues. First, President Yoon said more than 450,000 people will be granted special pardons on the occasion of the Lunar New Year, including five business people and seven politicians. President Yoon didn't name the beneficiaries at the meeting, saying only that the list was drawn up with a focus on reviving the economy for the people and included exemptions from various administrative penalties levied on drivers, restaurant industry workers, fishermen, and passenger and cargo transport operators. In South Korea, the government has often granted special pardons to convicted politicians, business executives, and other offenders at the start of the new year or around Liberation Day, which is around August 15th, to reward good behavior and foster national harmony. The pardons are reviewed by a panel at the Justice Ministry before being sent to a cabinet meeting for deliberation and then finalized by the president. And later on, Yin will be giving us some names on the main figures who will be benefiting from these pardons. And second, President Yoon also encouraged the implementation of the tasks uh, discussed at the recent public debates he presided over, calling on respective ministries to speed up their follow-up measures to ensure that the discussions lead to tangible results. Some tasks he mentioned was restoring the competitive environment of the mobile carrier industry, as well as support and relief for those who suffered damage from game operators deceptively profiting off of selling randomized in-game items. And third, President Yoon Seok-yeol called on the medical community to cooperate with the government's plan to increase the annual medical school enrollment quota, saying the country's future depends on it. He said expanding workforce of doctors is a task of our times, adding that many people are experiencing inconveniences due to the shortage of doctors. Uh, President Yoon also explained that the government has prepared a four-throng healthcare reform package to rebuild the crumbling healthcare system, which include measures such as increasing medical personnel and strengthening local healthcare. And on a related note, today afternoon, the health ministry announced the new increased medical school enrollment quota, which Yain will have more on. Yeah, so we're going to talk uh, exactly on that because uh, yesterday, uh, of course, we talked to an expert in regards to the increase in quota, uh, the need for an increase in quota, maybe some of the policy changes that the government needs to maybe put in force first before uh, thinking about a quota increase. But of course, then 
Then again, uh, yesterday we did talk to a doctor in regards to this. Uh, we did expect the increase in quota to be somewhere between 1,500 to 2,000. Well, the health ministry announced earlier today that they were going to be increasing the medical school admissions quota by 2,000. This for the 2025 academic year. And of course, again, as we mentioned, uh, the move is aimed to address the predicted shortfall of 15,000 doctors by 2035. Uh, considering the long-term health care needs of the country. So, Yane, let's get more on this. Sure. So as initially speculated to be quite substantial, the number confirmed after today's Healthcare and Medical Policy Deliberation Committee meeting held at the government complex in Seoul was 2,000, making the total quota of medical schools for the year 2025 5,058. However, given that it takes about 10 years from entering a medical school to becoming actually becoming a medical specialist, it is possible that the government will adjust the size of the increase in later years while boosting by 2000 in this very first year. Now, apparently the increased quota was set to be concentrated among regional medical schools outside Seoul, and the government is expected to con continue increasing the quota at a similar volume for more than five years. Now, the decision was revealed this afternoon, coming after careful consideration of factors such as the educational capacity of medical schools, regional medical infrastructure, and for, uh, workforce redistribution plans. Now, the current uh, medical schools, uh, medical students quota has been capped at 3,058, uh, that since 2006, following a reduction by 351 in 2000. The uh, proposed expansion uh, at this time around marks a significant shift in the policy, reflecting the government's commitment to bolstering the healthcare workforce. However, the announcement is expected to meet with strong opposition from the medical community Community, which has historically resisted increases in medical uh, school quotas. The Korean Medical Association has already had a uh, press conference this morning, which will be uh, later covered by Hejong in our uh, next story. And as the government and medical community brace for a potential standoff, the ministry uh, has made it quite clear that it will not tolerate any illegal activities that could jeopardize public health and safety, adding their response will be in accordance with the law and principles. So as we talked about yesterday, what the doctor's side, uh, the medical side is asking for is that instead of just raising uh, the number of medical student uh, admissions, uh, why not increase the compensation, uh, maybe uh, lower the liability for uh, doctors who face uh, certain lawsuits uh, in these high-risk facilities uh, so that more and more people are actually willing to work in these high-risk facilities like in the ICU and the emergency rooms and even in some of the rural areas as well. And even when it comes to the increase in the quota, why not just increase it slightly just a bit and then stop it instead of talking about more gradual increases moving forward. Now again, this was what a doctor uh, insisted would be a better policy moving forward. In fact, according to a survey conducted by the KMA, uh, the Korean Medical Association, some 81.81% uh, of the respondents of 4,000, over 4,000 doctors who uh, took part in the survey said that they were against the quota increase. More than 50% of them said that there is no need for an increase. So 
naturally, you're going to see a huge backlash from the medical community. You have the Doctors Association vowing to launch a nationwide strike if the government unilaterally pushes for raising the medical school enrollment quota. Hejong, let's get more on this. Right. As the health ministry announced its plans to increase the number of medical students by 2,000 next year, it seems that a walkout is unavoidable. Now, doctors have claimed that the quota hike will compromise the quality of medical education and services and argued that the government should find other ways to allocate physicians and boost compensation. And in the emergency press conference held this morning, Yip Pirsu, head of of the Korean Medical Association has said that despite repeated suggestions from the medical circle, the government has been pushing for its own policy measures without ample discussions and consultations. He announced that if the government unilaterally goes ahead with the plan, they will release the results of their survey conducted in December on a strike and begin a process to stage a general walkout. The Korean Medical Association had held an emergency board meeting until late last night, Monday. This began at 7 p.m. and went on for more than three hours to discuss on how to respond to the government's decision. According to an official from the Medical Association, the association had formulated a plan A, a plan B, and C as they were expecting the government to unilaterally make the decision. And the members of the Medical Association's executive board are all set to resign and immediately form an emergency committee. And aside from the Korean Medical Association, the Korean Intern Resident Association also hinted at collective action. They carried out a survey to more than 10,000 doctors at training hospitals nationwide and showed that 88.2% of the respondents would participate in collective action, including strikes, should the government proceed with raising the medical school quota. Now, the Korean Intern Resident Association has more than 15,000 members nationwide. We're looking at a massive, massive strike if they do decide to take part in it. Now, we have seen sort of threats uh, coming out from the KMA and also the Intern and Residence Association in the back uh, before. And of course, an agreement coming in at the last minute before the strike was conducted. But as we talked to uh, Professor Kim Gyu yesterday, uh, he has seen walkouts happen. He's seen collective actions. He's seen, uh, uh, I guess, protests and strikes happen amongst the doctors where it led to a huge, huge uh, downfall in the number of medical staff. And uh, at this time right now, can the country afford uh, a strike like this? We'll have to see. And uh, again, being that uh, very limited, I guess, discussions with the medical associations in regards to making this decision, you're seeing that's why you're seeing such a huge backlash. But we'll see what other uh, announcements we get from both the medical side and, of course, the government. Uh, earlier, we did talk about this uh, Lunar New Year special pardon that President Yoon suk uh, will be issuing. Uh, we are going to have some uh, major names that are included uh, for the Lunar New Year holidays. This includes uh, Kim Gwan Jin, who is the former defense minister, not to mention the, uh, Kim Gi-chun, who's the former chief of staff during the former Park Geun-hye administration. Uh, Yen, let's get more on this. 
Of course. So officials stated that the pardons granted, uh, uh, the pardons announced early this afternoon uh, that aim to invigorate the domestic economy and bring the country together by including additional former high-ranking officials, politicians from both ruling and opposition parties, as well as journalists in the pardon list. Now, former uh, defense minister and uh, director of national security during the Lee Myung-bak and Park Geun-hye administrations, uh, Kim Kwan-jin, is known for his involvement in a political online comment scandal. And uh, Kim, who was found guilty of ordering the posting of political, approximately 9,000 uh, political uh, comments online that we're talking about by the, by the military cyber command ahead of the 2012 general and uh, uh, presidential elections is among the 980 individuals to be pardoned on this uh, Wednesday. So his sentence was finalized last year, but this pardon relieves him of any remaining prison time. Joining Kim on the pardon list is Kim Gi-chun, the former chief of staff under the Park Geun-hye administration, who was sentenced for his role in the so-called cultural blacklist scandal. Now, uh, he was implicated for excluding individuals who criticized the government at the time from receiving state funds based on this uh, blacklist. And uh, Jo Yun-sun, former minister of gender equality and culture minister, who was also charged alongside Kim Gi-chun uh, didn't make her name on this uh, pardon list at this time around. The pardon also covers special reduction or exep- uh, exemptions for individuals from various sectors, including former public officials, business executives, and those involved in minor administrative offenses, totaling over 555,000 beneficiaries. We're going to move on to <clears throat> excuse me, another uh, major news that came in earlier today after holding... Uh, their general meeting, the Democratic Party confirmed its uh, commitment to maintain the current semi-mixed and member proportional representation system, or the MMP, uh, and to pursue the formation of a unified proportional representation party for the upcoming April 10th general election. Uh, let's also get more on this, Yin. Sure. So according to the party's floor leader, Hong Yik-pyo, the decision was unanimously supported by party <coughs> members, signaling a strong collective stance against the Yoon administration. Now, the party aims to quickly establish a unified proportional representation party to rally all political entities that share uh, their vision for change. Now, the decision to keep the mixed member proportional representation system or MMP system, as SJ mentioned, inform this unified party is actually no surprise given the current political climate. Now, the party has expressed, uh, has been expressing a desire to form a coalition with various political groups, although specific parties have not been named uh, at this stage. Now, concerns about the satellite party were also addressed. Hong shared uh, that while the DP leader Lee Jae-myung said he would not deny that there is this uh, satellite party controversy, the satellite party that the Democratic Party had four years uh, four years ago, and the uni, uh, unified proportional party it is planning right at this moment, are a little different in nature. He added, "quote At this time around, other parties sorry at that time uh, in the past, other parties were on the sidelines, uh, with the Democratic Party mainly being in the driver's seat. But this time, we will form a unified party with the third major party partaking the effort." Uh, 
respectively. When asked if the Democratic Party's envisioned coalition includes the so-called Joguk's new party, he replied that the party will first consult with parties that are specifically in the form of political parties already, and their next step uh, being to discuss with civil society to see who will join next. The meeting also touched upon the current state of electoral district de- uh, demarcation, uh, electoral district negotiation, uh, which, uh, with reports that the People Party has actually unilaterally halted discussions, causing confusion and concerns uh, among Democratic Party members. Uh, in his remarks, Lee Jae-myung also stressed the importance of unity and cooperation in light of the severe political landscape, urging members to carefully consider what would benefit the nation, the progressive uh, reformist camp, uh, so-called, and the Democratic Party in this upcoming election. Again, so many different things happening uh, leading up to the April general election. Uh, We've talked about uh, all these uh, minor parties uh, forming talks of mergers between these uh, newly formed uh, parties and so forth. Uh, How this is going to change the landscape of the upcoming April parliamentary elections, we'll have to see again. Uh, We're going to keep a close tab on this. Uh, Some major news coming out. A historic ruling by the court on Tuesday, uh, recognizing the state's liability to compensate the humidifier disaffected victims or their bereaved families. This for the very first time in South Korea. Never has there been a ruling where they actually had a liability, a compensation liability set on this state. Uh, Hejung, let's get the latest updates on this. Right. First, for some background, the humidifier disinfectant scandal is one of the country's worst consumer goods disasters. In 2011, uh, consumers started to report deaths and illnesses allegedly tied to humidifier disinfectants widely used in households in dry winters. And a government-led investigation confirmed the link between the two the following year. And the litigation began in 2014 when a group of people who received hospital treatment due to unexplained lung damage after using the humidifier disinfectants between the year 2008 and 2011, as well as some of their uh, bereaved families, uh, filed a lawsuit for damages against the state as well as manufacturers. Uh, The number of plaintiffs was 10. A district court acknowledged the manufacturer's liability for compensation in 2016, but dismissed their claim against the state, citing lack of evidence. Then five of the 10 plaintiffs appealed against the district's court's dismissal of their claim against the state. And today, the Seoul High Court overturned a lower uh, court's verdict that the state is not responsible for compensation to the victims of the toxic humidifier sterilizer products ruling in favor of five of the plaintiffs in their litigation against the state. The appellate court ordered the state to pay 3 million won to 5 million won, which is about $2,260 to $3,800 U.S. in compensation to three of the plaintiffs. The court said it found some lapses after examining whether there was any negligence by public officials in the process of screening and publicizing the toxicity of the chemical materials. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Environment, serving as the defendant in the litigation, said it will review the appellate court's ruling and consult with relevant government agencies 
agencies before deciding whether to appeal to the Supreme Court. Now, I, I forget uh, who, which expert we had uh, discussions on this with. Uh, remember, this is something that's been going on for years and years and years. And I remember this being one of the top stories when I first joined uh, Arirang uh, back in 2012. Uh, such major news. And the big thing with this is, are you going to take this? Because again, it's a historic ruling, right? And there's never been uh, any rulings where they basically said the, the state is responsible and hence there's got to be some kind of compensation uh, to the plaintiffs. Uh, but Look at the figures here, 3 million to 5 million won, something like 2,000 to, what is it, uh, 3,800 US dollars uh, is not a lot for a compensation. So do you look at this and go, well, it's more symbolic uh, to address that, yes, the state did have some sort of, uh, I guess, uh, liability in this whole uh, case, or you say, well, it's not enough and we're going to continue to fight this and are we going to see more of the victims come out and say we're also going to fight this as well because remember hundreds of people were impacted by this a large number of people died young kids babies died because of this and so uh, despite the fact that this case itself is over 10 years old i think this is something that's going to continue on and we'll try to cover more in our program uh let's talk about other issues here uh, han chang jun uh, he's the former cfo of terraform labs uh if you remember uh, this is uh the the whole crypto fiasco that uh, happened not too long ago with the uh, terra luna coins uh he's been extradited to south korea from montenegro where he had been held uh, since his arrest back in march of 2023 now extradition was confirmed by the montenegrin police uh, who handed over Han to the South Korean authorities to face criminal proceedings related to fraud in financial investment services. Hejung, let's get more on this. According to Korea's Justice Ministry, Han Chang-jun, a close associate of Terraform Labs co-founder Do Kwon, and also the CFO of Terraform Labs, has been extradited to South Korea after serving his prison sentence in Montenegro after being found guilty of trying to travel with forged documents. And he arrived back in uh, South Korea on Tuesday afternoon at around 1.55 p.m. Upon arrival at Incheon International Airport, Han, who is aged 37, is expected to be taken to the Seoul Southern District Prosecutor's Office for investigation regarding the massive crash of the cryptocurrency firm linked to the $60 billion Terra stablecoin collapse back in May 2022. Han was detained with To Kwon in March last year at Montenegro's Podgorica Airport after attempting to travel to Dubai with forged passports. The Korean Justice Ministry has since requested their extradition and has cooperated closely with authorities in Montenegro. And earlier, Montenegrin officials announced they had handed over Han to South Korean authorities. In the meantime, the extradition of To Kwon, who is currently at a detention facility in Montenegro, will be decided before February 15th when his detention is due to expire. But the country's appeals court is yet to decide whether to send him to South Korea or to the United States. Yeah, so I mean, Han is obviously a, a big name uh, that's part of the, the whole Terra 
Luna, Collapse, and so forth. But uh, the, the name, the, the figure that everyone wants right now is Doogwon, right? And so there was a whole thing about whether it's going to be the United States that's going to be uh, getting him with the extradition or is it going to be South Korea? And what's funny is that a lot of the cryptocurrency uh, investors they were saying that he should go to the United States. He right. should be extradited to the United States because they have harsher laws in regards to this. And there's a probably a higher chance that he's going to be facing the rest of his life in prison if he gets extradited in the United States as opposed to South Korea, where you might have a little bit more lenient uh, laws in place here. But uh, again, I know that the Montenegrin uh, officials did say that unless all the charges against uh, Dolguan is done and over with and all the, the court proceedings are done and over with, uh, they won't be looking into extraditing to Oguan, but this might actually be uh, the first step here. So uh, we'll find out uh, which country gets to uh, get back uh, Doguan for uh, court hearings there. Uh, in the meantime, the OECD has slightly adjusted its forecast for South Korea's economic growth rate for this year, uh, bringing it down a notch from 2.3% to 2.2%. And uh, the adjustment actually reflects a cautious outlook amidst the global economic challenges that we've been seeing. Uh, Yane, let's get more on this. Of course. So this revision comes against a backdrop uh, of the OECD raising the global growth forecast from 2.7% to 2.9%, uh, despite the factors that SJ just uh, touched upon. And uh, while this slight downward revision uh, in growth expectations happened for South Korea, the inflation forecast for South Korea remains steady at 2.7%. Now, notably, the growth forecast for two of South Korea's major trading partners, uh, they are China and the United States, remains unchanged for China at 4.7%, while the forecast for the U.S. has been raised quite significantly from 1.5% to 2.1%. The OECD's adjustment is particularly noteworthy as it was released ahead of the, uh, its usual schedule, suggesting that some recent data might not have been fully reflected in this interim economic outlook. South Korea's growth rate for last year was also presented with a slightly lower figure of 1.3% compared to the Bank of Korea's estimate of 1.4%. Looking ahead, the OECD maintains uh, its growth projection for South Korea at 2.1% for the next year, aligning uh, with the forecast made by the South Korean government, uh, uh, the KDI or the Korea Development Institute, as well as the Bank of Korea, which have all projected growth rates in the vicinity of 2.1% to 2.2%. The IMF offered a slightly more optimistic view with a forecast of 2.3%. 3%. Now, the OECD hasn't made any particular evaluation comments on the Korean economy upon releasing this interim outlook. Uh, on the global economy, however, the organization commented that unprecedented impact of high interest rate is now present for longer duration or at a larger scale than anticipated, and this could serve as a downward pressure on the economy in general. With that, they emphasized the need for maintaining a restrictive monetary policy stance, for the time being at least, to keep inflation pressures in check, despite the possibility of interest rates going down. Again, but this also leads to further slowdown of uh, the economy, right? And so wh what are you going to sort of prioritize? Are you going to prioritize uh, lowering 
the inflation or are you going to prioritize the slowing of the economy because of the high, especially here in South Korea, many people have been impacted uh, by the high interest rates, especially because during the COVID-19 times with the near zero interest rates, uh, you know, they're borrowing money left and right uh, to purchase homes. And now they're sort of kind of paying for that, right, mm-hmm. to high interest. And so, again, uh, you know, you kind of have to balance this out, but it doesn't seem like uh, South Korea as well. The Bank of Korea for now isn't going to be lowering their interest, key interest rates until the uh, the U.S. Fed does so. Uh, in the meantime, President Yoon Suk-yeol on Tuesday met with representatives of the country's tripartite panel of labor, management, and the government uh, after they held their first face-to-face meeting under the Yoon administration. Hejung, let's get more on this. Right. The Economic, Social and Labor Council, or the ESLC, is established under the jurisdiction of the president. And today, the 13th plenary session was held this morning, and this was the first face-to-face meeting in 32 months. It's also the first face-to-face plenary meeting under the Yoon administration. The session was delayed for a long time as the committee was not able to narrow differences over a series of controversial labor reform plans, including the government's drive to fix the weekly work hour system. Earlier, the Federation of Korean Trade Unions declared a halt to its social dialogue activities back in June 2023, protesting against the control of street demonstrations organized by a K. Uh, FKT affiliated union, but talks resumed this time as the union decided to return to dialogue back in November. And today's meeting was also attended by Minister of Employment and Labor Lee Jong-sik and ESLC Chairman Kim Munsu. And later on after the meeting, President Yoon invited members of the ESLC to the Yongsan Presidential Office for a luncheon to encourage them. Now, looking into what was discussed at today's plenary session, a proposal to form three committees for social dialogue was approved. The three main committees are going to each address improving awareness, practices, and systems for work-life balance, establishing an employment and labor system in response to changes in demographic structure, and creating jobs for future generations. Uh, There are going to be a wide range of specific issues that are going to be dealt with within each committee, such as the flexible 52-hour work week, protecting health rights at the workplace, and expanding support for job transfers and re-employment for the middle-aged and elderly. But although talks have resumed, there is still a long way to go in order to reach an agreement between the labor management and the government. Because the newly formed committees only have a one-year term, which can be extended by an agreement, and although the agendas are adopted by both labor and management, the solutions each side are requesting are mostly different. For instance, the reform on working hours is expected to be the biggest issue on the table, as the government and management believes that some industries should be flexible enough to allow working for long hours at a time, uh, uh, while the labor sector feels that this partial flexibility will actually go against the overall trend of shortening working hours. 
We're going to shift our focus to uh, the rest of the world. Uh, we've been talking about uh, volatile weather, right? And, uh, you know, whether or not uh, you believe in climate change, uh, climate crisis. I mean, these are all evidence that it does exist. Uh, we're going to go over to the West Coast in the United States and California facing severe weather challenges. A powerful storm system continues to wreak havoc across California for the second consecutive day. Uh, Yin, let's get more on this. So the northern part of the state, uh, California, has been hit hard by strong winds, uh, resulting in three fatalities so far, as well as widespread power outages, while the southern regions, including Los Angeles, are experiencing record rainfall, leading to landslides damaging homes and flooding streets. For uh, further details, on the fifth local time in Yuba City, Northern California, a man was killed by a falling tree in a residential area. Authorities found the victim under a large cedar tree. Uh, apparently, uh, he was dead uh, attempting, while attempting to clear a tree that had fallen on his house using a ladder when this accident occurred. The area was experiencing winds of up to 80 uh, kilometers per hour at this time around, which likely caused the tree to fall in the first place. Central California wasn't free from troubles either, with hurricane-level winds knocking down trees and power lines, causing blackouts across the region. According to PowerOutage.us, uh, over 710 uh, over 710,000 people uh, were without electricity as of Monday evening local time. Uh, regions around the Bay Area in San Francisco, including Santa Clara, Sacramento, Sonoma, and Monterey, were hit the hardest by the power outage. In Los Angeles, the situation is also dire, with heavy rains causing unprecedented damage. LA's uh, National Weather Service, or NWS, reported that downtown LA received 4.10 uh, 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 inches, or that is 104 millimeters uh, worth of rain in just a single day, uh, ranking as the third highest February rainfall ever recorded in history. The adverse weather has prompt, uh, prompt, uh, prompted emergency evacuations, with nine homes in the affected areas being under emergency evacuation order and 16 residents evacuated. California Governor Gavin Newsom uh, has declared a state of emergency in several counties, including Los Angeles, Orange County, Santa Barbara, and San Diego, as the state braces for more life-threatening flash floods going forward. The National Weather Service warns that the atmospheric river phenomenon, uh, which is a narrow corridor of concentrated moisture uh, formed uh, mid-air, is contributing to this heavy downpours, further exacerbated by climate change and a strong El Nino events. Yeah, and uh, the craziest thing about all this, and I think a number of our uh, listeners uh, chiming in from uh, California, they've been talking about uh, uh, the, the dry seasons, right? And the fact that there's a shortage of rainfall, which leads to a shortage of water being able to use. And there's all these regulations about uh, being able to water your grass and things like that. And all of a sudden you have torrential rain pouring down flooding areas and flash floods happening. And so uh, this is exactly what we're talking about when it comes to like volatile weather conditions. And even, you know, this, this past winter for us here in South Korea, I mean, you know, we had maybe what, two weeks of really cold weather. Right. Uh, other than that, it's just been relatively warm. Uh, it's just unusual winters uh, that we're seeing these days. Nevertheless, guys, as usual, thank you very much for your reports. Have a safe one, and we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you.
You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.